celebrate the ball, baby. Let's go. This is Inside the Pac-12 Podcast. Put on a pair of your headphones and fall back. Listen to some ball catches, having a ball chat. About the best conference in the nation, all facts. This is truly for the hoop lovers. Yeah, who running and gunning and getting buckets? How about we discuss it? The Trojans, Huskies, Ducks, the Cardinal, then the Cougars. Bears, Beavers, Sun Devils, Cats, and Bruins. The Buffaloes and youths I won't ever forget. Got insight, opinions, and plenty of special guests. Coaches and players, beat writers and insights. Uh-huh. Old and young, Pac-12 legends and alums yeah. In depth analysis, we go far beyond the scores uh-huh. Take you from conference play all the way to the final four With some hoop kind of sores just walking you through the game Now here's your host, Mike Gam and the boy, Don McClain Hey, Oh, welcome to the show A little bit of a different vibe this week in yeah. basketball Not just in the Pac-12 conference, but I think basketball in general All around the world Uh Jeez, man, kind of a crazy couple days. And, and Don, you and I are obviously going to get to everything that's happened in the Pac-12 conference. But as a guy that, you know, your career is based on basketball yeah. in a lot of ways, so is mine from a different uh, a different uh, lens. Uh, but the passing of, of Kobe Bryant, um, you and I were texting uh, over the weekend when it happened. This is as crazy and um, crazy scenario that you can possibly think of. Uh, you know, I think when those initial reports came out, uh, my reaction was this cannot be true. Yeah, everybody thought yeah. it was fake. Yeah. And, and as you know, Yam, I live in L.A. Yeah. And obviously Kobe's still iconic figure around here. And, and, and we, we are going to talk about him more later in the show. But for me, we my, my club basketball team, we have 11 teams. We're playing in the Mamba Cup at Mamba Sports Academy this weekend. And so jarring news that we had left that building to go get something to eat before we went back. And that's when we heard the news and Kobe was on his way to the Mamba Sports Academy for that tournament. So, again, we'll talk more about it later, but just sad, sad day yesterday, continuing into today. Yeah, I certainly think about uh, the Bryant family and not to mention the other uh, families that were involved in that helicopter crash as well. That is... um, as brutal news that you can possibly hear. And I know just the tributes that have been happening in the NBA before games, during the games as well, certainly special, I'm sure, for uh, the Bryant family to see some well, of those types for of a things. long time, too. That's how big of a big, big of a star he was. Yeah. Uh, you and I, once again, I'll talk a little bit more about Kobe Bryant, some of the experiences that you had uh, with him a little bit later here in the podcast. But, Don, maybe the the best place to start uh, with today's show, and keep in mind, tomorrow on the podcast, Tad Boyle, Colorado's head coach, coming off a home sweep against the Washington schools. He is going to be stopping by with us. We'll get his take on uh, his basketball team, a snippet of that interview a little bit later here on this episode. You know, CU, by the way, they get the home sweep. A couple of the other, we, we saw some home sweeps actually over the weekend. That hasn't necessarily been, been the norm, mm-hmm. Don in conference play this year no and a couple of things you and I were talking about in studio and what we always talk about is sweep at home and split on the road that seems to be the formula to win the regular season title and get in the NCAA tournament and just that thought of 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 who is going to win the regular season title and I think it's going to be the teams that can that can follow that formula as close as possible and so we hadn't seen three teams have home sweeps yet in the conference season but you got Oregon Utah and Colorado that did it, Utah playing from a little bit behind. But Oregon and Colorado now with two losses, there's four teams in the conference with two losses. So 
this is setting up. I know we're going to talk a ton about the NCAA tournament and who's getting in, but to me, I look at the standings and the regular season title is going to be a fun race to watch. Separation right now is is starting to occur in the conference. We are seeing that right now in the standings. I'm going to throw a team your way that I didn't think we'd be talking about in this way, but Washington and what we've seen from them. The loss against Utah was bad. You and I were in studio at Pac-12 Network. When that game was being played, I had said to you, hey, this is a good opportunity. We've seen some teams lose some games that we didn't necessarily anticipate and then win some other games. Washington had an opportunity over the weekend against Colorado. Top 25 team and... They struggled, man, in that first half. Now, give CU a lot of credit. I, they were unreal from three in that first half. But but to me, I don't know what to to make of Washington's chances now down the stretch. Yeah, it's still early enough. And, and you know, they had that win against Baylor, who's top five team in the country, um, which may carry them. But they got work to do, Yam, yeah, like a lot of work. You know, most of our teams in our league have work to do, but now they have a ton of work. And you know, things, you know, losing your, your starting point guard doesn't help matters. You're relying on young guys. Um, and so, you know, the fact that they had Stuart McDaniels, two all McDonald's All-Americans coming in, I think that may have raised expectations. And both of those players have been good for UW. But when you're talking about going on the road and winning games minus your, your starting point guard and relying on freshmen, We've seen this in the past, and I am surprised because I thought that their talent level was high enough that they would overcome maybe some of the inexperience that they have, but um, we'll see. We'll see where they're at. I, I'm with you. I give Colorado more credit for that game against UW than I do UW not being uh, very good. I think that was all Colorado, but here we are, and if they're going to get back in the race, it's going to have to start now. And they're going to have to rip off three, four, five wins in a row. You know what's crazy about this? Washington, before the CU game, Don, I, I threw the stat your way. The losses this year, I mean, razor-thin margins, so they're right there. And I think you can speak to this because you played, obviously, in college, and you played in the pros. The difference in mentality from a college kid to a pro is dramatically different. I don't think people truly can appreciate that. Stanford, I think, is a good example of this, right? I mean, they're up 21 against USC, lose that game. We were concerned about them having essentially a week off. They played on Mm -hmm. Sunday. They lose on the road against Cal. How do you get up off the mat and respond? Obviously, they weren't able to. Washington, these razor-thin margins, these losses. You mentioned these McDonald All-Americans. I I would venture a guess that McDaniels and Stewart didn't lose many games before they got to Washington. Now, all of a sudden, these losses are now mounting up. How do you mentally overcome that? And in in the sense of both of these squads, they're young basketball teams. That's why these coaches get paid the way they get paid. And, and you, you, every year is a different journey throughout the season. Things happen. Injuries happen. Academic, academically ineligible happens. Um, but you have, to, you have to figure out how to manage it as the season goes on. And I think, you know, for Stanford, I think it's, it's, it's even more challenging for Jared Haas because they had a big lead at USC, couldn't keep it and win that game. They had not as big of a lead, but a lead against Cal and couldn't keep it. So the confidence part, and if the question is, what's the difference between college guys and NBA guys, it's confidence. And and it wavers at the NBA level, but you already have it. Like you deeply have confidence or you wouldn't be in the NBA. In college, you're still kind of trying to figure it out a little bit, how confident you are and how good you are. And I just think a Stanford team that had exceeded 
expectations. You know, the opposite of where Washington's at right now. They have exceeded what people thought. But now two games that you should have won, you didn't. What does that do to the mental makeup of your team? And Jared's going to have to address that this week and get them back ready to play. It's amazing how some wins can propel you a little bit. And I feel like SC's win against Stanford. Now, I know they followed up with a loss. Um, and it obviously, but du- Double overtime double and overtime. Eugene's no shame. Exactly. That's where I'm going with this. And then they dominate Oregon State. To me, and I know we've talked about this, I think two or three weeks now in a row on the podcast, SC, Don, and you've had them in person, a legit threat to win this conference right now. Oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. And I think with them, it was about Andy and his staff figuring out role definition, you know, rotations, what combinations work well together. Um, and I think they're starting to figure that out. I do think that that Stanford win did probably give them a jolt of confidence and momentum. Um, but I think it was more about figuring out the pieces that he had. Putting Utomi in the starting lineup has obviously worked. Elijah Weaver embracing coming off the bench has worked. He's been a factor for them off the bench. And so those are things that, that have, sometimes it's easy, like for Tad Boyle, he knew what he had because everyone was coming back. So that's already been established. But when you have new pieces like USC with the Okongwu and Mobley and Anderson, and then, you know, Utomi Atlas, the two grad transfers, it takes some time sometimes to figure out who needs to start, who needs to come off the bench, what players play well with each other. And like I said, I think USC's figured that out, and that's why they're playing so well of late. Mention the jolt. ASU, do they get a jolt with a win being down like they were against Arizona? Without a doubt on that front, too. And that's a team that, that's had some ups and downs this year. Um, you know, they when, – when you get a win like that, I you know, you don't know the temperature of the locker room unless you're in it, Yam, so I can't speak to that. But just on the surface, any team in any conference or, or any team at any level, when you have a win like that against your rival, no less, 22 down, like that can't, that can't not help the spirit of your team and lift the, lift the team heading into practice this week and see if that translates into winning more games moving forward. I haven't done a deep dive of the point guards in, in every conference but, man, I'm thinking about being 22 down, right? They win that basketball game in a lot of reasons, or in a lot of ways because of the play of Remy Martin. McKinley Wright this season. Peyton Pritchard already this year. We can throw in the buzz surrounding a guy like Nico Mannion who played in that game against ASU. This league at that position, Don, maybe as good as, as any in the country. Yeah, I haven't looked around specifically to other conferences, but we do know the ACC is down, and they usually have a bunch of good point guards. Um, but I think, to me, what makes it even better, I guess, is that we have these freshman point guards that have, like Ryland Jones and yeah. Tyrell Terry have come out of nowhere. Yeah. We knew about Mannion. He's highly regarded best high school point guard in the country last year. But just the whole league in general with the young ones and then the, the veteran guys um, – and just what that provides. And I don't think I don't think it's a coincidence, Mike, that the conference is in a way better place this year in terms of um, you know, what they did in the non con November, December, and how it's set up to get way more teams into the NCAA tournament, that we have a ton of good point guards in the league. That can't be a coincidence. And whether they're freshmen or they're veterans, 
I think the fre- the point about the freshmen is they don't look like freshmen. So now you just have a bunch of good point guards in the league. Are you still buying right now that Arizona, because we, we just brought this up for Stanford, right? Young basketball team coming off the loss against SC, not able to respond. Washington, young basketball team, losses continue to mount up, having issues close to close games, lose against CU the way that they did. Worried about those teams. For an Arizona squad, Sean Miller was our first guest on this podcast, said, hey, I've never had to rely on three freshmen like I am this season. Young guys right now, up 22 on the road against your mm-hmm. rival, lose that game. Does this change in your mind the trajectory of, of that team? I don't think so because they have some veteran guys in that locker room. And yes, Sean is relying on three freshmen in big roles, but I think you have overall not a young team. I think it's more of like a middle team, if that's a term. Like you have young but old sure. also. And so I think they're going to be fine. They're a three-loss team, and I think that's why I started thinking last week about who's going to win the regular season title um, because it's a race. And what is going to be the ultimate uh, record of the winner? And, you know, 14-4 and four seemed about right back then, but the way this is going, I think 13-5 and five will probably get you a share of it this year. And so Arizona's still in position. But no concern for Arizona. I'm sure there's areas that Sean would like to clean up, like every coach in our conference. Sure. But I think Arizona's in a good spot, and I think they'll continue to evolve as a team. And those young guys will, with more games, get get the experience to where they're playing well in, in March. And that ultimately, Mike, is like what we should be talking about is, you know, who's going to win the regular season title? Who's playing the best heading into Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament? And then who's playing well enough to make a deep run into the NCAA tournament? I think that list is getting a little bit shorter in this conference right now. I think so. I think so. I think that, you know, um, we were talking about eight maybe two weeks ago. And I think there's eight still on the radar, but we'll see. (laughs) <laughs> let's leave it at that. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, we, we are set set up way different than last year. And I think you could you could look at it and say there's some locks already that there's no way they're not getting in the NCAA tournament, whereas we really couldn't say that last year. All right. I, I want to get your take on Oregon in just a second because they are on the short list of teams that I would pick to not only win the conference but make a run in the tournament. You'd mentioned how the, the Arizona team has some vets in that locker room, some a couple upperclassmen that can help. Can you just paint the picture of what it's like to be in an NBA locker room or a college locker room when you're talking about juniors and seniors uh, versus, uh, you know, obviously freshmen who obviously Arizona's got a couple of those guys. But you mentioned leadership and how that can change things. I, I think I understand it in in the sense, like, very rationally and logically, right? Oh, upperclassmen, they can. Is it is it more about leading by example? Is it being vocal? Like what's the difference between a freshman being vocal and a senior, for example, or is there a moment that you can point to when you were playing that would explain why having upperclassmen is such a differentiator? Well, what upperclassmen do, Yam, is they already understand what type of culture the coach is trying to establish. Like it's already been established. So you know what the expectations are, not in games, in practice every day, in the off season, um, how we go about things in the weight room. And freshmen are still learning all that. And, and, you know, they haven't learned that, you know, if we lose on the road, 
you know, how we respond. And so they just, it's all new experience to them. Whereas the veteran players understand it and can, and can keep the culture and keep their way of doing things win or lose. This is how we do things every day. This is how we prepare for games. This is how we do shoot around. This is how we do, you know, basically everything. And that way there's less room for, for error as you go along. Whereas if you're a very young team, everyone's looking around at each other going, well, what are we supposed to do now kind of thing? And I think veterans have the experience to know, okay, this is how we do it. But in terms of leadership of that, leadership of, okay, how, how do we uh, continue our culture? There's some guys that are vocal. There's some guys that lead by example. It's a case-by-case basis. Like I can envision, and we're going to talk to Tad Boyle tomorrow, McKinley Wright is probably very vocal at practice. Evan Batty is probably very vocal at practice. And so that's how they lead. But maybe there's a guy that's that's they, that never takes a day off in practice. And so that's how he provides leadership. But at the end of the day, it's about the, the program's culture and continuing to execute that culture. Maybe the best leader on the floor from a follow me, I'm going to win us a game perspective is a guy that we had on the podcast a week ago in Peyton Pritchard. Three consecutive wins now, huge win against SC uh, last week, dominant win against UCLA on Sunday. Duarte, is this, you know, against Washington, he struggled. I think he was like 2 of 10 in that game, 1 of 6 mm-hmm. from 3, 1 of 7 from 3, whatever the number was. Are the matchups, matchups against the LA schools, the time at the, the the two games this season, one at the end of the year, we go, this is when the light, light switch went off for Duarte, and he now truly is that, that real number two that Oregon needs. Same thing I was saying with USC. It's like it takes some time, and we see Dana do this every year where, you know, he, 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 he does so many different things defensively and offensively. They run a lot of good stuff, and, you know, when you're plugging that many new players in, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to emerge or when they're going to emerge, but it does certainly seem like Duarte has figured it out and that he is going to be that number two with Peyton Pritchard. Will Richardson, I think, took some pressure off of Duarte because he was good earlier in the year, and it looked like he was going to be kind of that number two, and maybe they end up sharing it. Maybe it's going to be Richardson one night, Duarte the next. Um, which is a bonus because now you're even harder to game plan for. And I'm still waiting on Mathis. Like that kid can really shoot. And that's that's the beauty of Dana's uh, rotation is that any one of those four can get you 25 on a night. And so if that's the case, if you're going to hedge on, on Pritchard and you're going to try and take him out, that's going to op- open it up for one of those other three. If you game plan now for Duarte, maybe Richardson comes in the game and, and hurts you. So He's got a lot of options, and Oregon is is set up nicely with their depth, especially at the guard position. You mentioned the guard position depth, though, but I'm thinking about some of the front court guys, right? Like Lawson starts against UCLA. Walker has been a little banged up this year. I don't think we've seen his best. Okoro, same sort of thing. I don't think he's played his best. Dante doesn't even play. He's been dealing with injuries um, on and off the entire season. How do you, if you're Dane Altman, how do you manage the rotation right now over the next couple of weeks? Because by conference tournament time, NCAA tournament, doesn't, doesn't that thing got to be a little bit more shored up and, and kind of locked in on who you want to go with? 
Yeah, and and injuries derail everything you do, Yam. Like you can't practice with the group that you might play with. And so it really makes it hard. And and like I said, if injuries are disrupting practice time and in game time, it's really hard to know who you're gonna be in March. But the key is if you have great depth and you've recruited well, which Oregon has, now you can plug different pieces in if you do have injuries and I think Walker was highly regarded coming in and I think everybody thought that he would be doing more but he's been in and out of the lineup and so but we know that Dana will figure it out um and and the key is that yes would you love to practice every day with your entire group and play every game with your entire group so that it would be easier yes but the trick is and Oregon's already done enough they're going to be in the NCAA tournament that you're healthy and ready to go in March so that you can make a run kind of like they did last year. Okay, I'm thinking about the schedule over the next week or so. Some teams, I keep saying this, separation is occurring right now in the standings. Is it a most important uh, series this week? Is it Washington against the Arizonas at home, knowing the way the season has gone? Opportunity to kind of get back not only in the win column, but put yourself back in that com- uh, conversation for an NCAA tournament bid, which, by the way, according to the net rank, has got to bring up uh, where Washington currently sits, but still kind of in that conversation right now. Is it um, SC keeping the momentum? Is it Oregon trying to win on the road against the Bay Area schools? Is it CU proving that they can continue to, to kind of climb up the rankings in Los Angeles? Like, who is there a team right now that you would point to and say, hey, this is a crucial week? No, and that's the beauty of it, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about it since conference play started. There's a lot of teams in the mix, not only for this regular season title, but for an NCAA tournament bid. And and that's what's been great about what happened in November and December. I don't think there's any one team I point to. I think there's a lot of, I don't want to call them critical games, but if you have four two-loss teams and I believe three three-loss teams in in the standings, like there's seven teams that it's all critical if you want to win the league this year. Um, but again, going back to that formula, if you're at home, you need to be thinking about, we need to get both these. And if you're on the road at minimum, we need to get one of these games. And so that's, that's why the rest of this conference season is going to be so fun is because I don't think there, you know, you keep mentioning separation, Mike, and there has been, but like there's still seven teams within a game of each yeah. other. And so that's going to be fun to watch as we move towards the end of conference season. Washington, by the way, as we're recording this podcast, sitting with a net ranking of 45. Boy, talk about a big win in non-con. Baylor, that is saving them right now. Yeah, and I think if they can just, like I said, if they can rip off three, four, five in a row and they have the talent to do it, there were even, because remember two years ago, Arizona State, eight and 10 in the conference, made the NCAA tournament. So I'm not really looking at, at Washington's conference record so much as I am, can they get it back together with this talent that they have and rip off some wins to get that net higher? And that's the other beauty of this year in conferences. You can win or lose games and really help yourself. Not losing, but if you win. So depending upon who Washington can beat, they can move that net up and they could get in the NCAA tournament with a sub 500 record in conference. We saw it two years ago. It's crazy. You bring up ASU and obviously they'll be in Seattle over the weekend. I'm thinking to myself, boy, you want to talk about a crucial game. ASU right now sitting with a a net ranking of 57 as we're doing this podcast, coming off a top 25 win against their rival in Arizona. 
those are two teams that I would say you want to talk big matchup and playing for your tournament resume slash lives. That's that's the game because ASU is not out of it right now, and neither is Washington. No. And, you know, but again, if the question was, like, which is the most important, sure. maybe it is if we're talking about NCAA tournament for that game. But, like, USC has an opportunity with only two losses, having already gone through the, the Oregon trip, to get to, and who knows what happens, you know, with the teams that are tied with them right now. But they could be sitting at the top of the conference after this weekend. So I'm excited about all of it, I guess, is my point, is that, yes, you're right. That Arizona State game and Washington's big, but you know what? We'll be sitting here next Monday, Mike, talking about another game that will be as big as that one was this past this coming weekend. Yeah, at least with regard to the Thursday games, Oregon and Cal, Pac-12 Network pregame starts at 5:30 uh, Pacific time, and then the second game, actually, it's both the Oregon uh, Bay Area schools. So Oregon State and Stanford will be on uh, on Pac-12 Network as well, and then uh, on Saturday, kind of get a little bit of a role reversal. Cal and Oregon State starts their coverage uh, 12:30 p.m. Pacific time, ready to rock and roll. And Arizona fans, you will be able to see your squad against Washington State on Pac-12 Network, and that huge match that the one that said I'm referring to, ASU and Washington, we have it for you at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time once again on Pac-12 Network. But right now, Don, time to take a closer look at one individual player. From the Pac-12 to the NBA. All right, Don, he is a freak on the floor, arguably the most athletic big that we have in this conference, looking at the draft prospects of USC's Onyeka Okongwu. Mm-hmm. Well, his measurables are NBA already. Um, you know, the eye test, he passes immediately. You know, he's, he's, he's big and strong, bigger and stronger than most um, college freshmen are. Um, but what really I think has NBA people excited about him is his ability to get off the floor. And, and in particular, his second jump, like, I've seen some good ones along the way, and his is right up there, where he can hit the floor and get right back up to the rim um, quicker than most. You know, he's evolving as an as an offensive player. He's got good touch around the rim. He's still got a ways to go, just like every college freshman does in terms of footwork down there um, and finishing in different ways, but pretty good with his touch right now, and he dunks a lot of balls with that jumping ability. Anyway, runs the floor hard, which NBA people love. He's got a great motor. He's he's a menace on both boards, both backboards, offensively and defensively. And I think what what really opened a lot of eyes, Yam, and I'm I'm sure you remember this, is his first game as a freshman. He had eight blocks. Yeah. Um, I know it wasn't against high level competition, but still, eight blocks is in your first game as a freshman will open some eyes. Um, I think the one thing for him, which he's going to have to prove. And I don't think it's – if he comes out, and I don't know if for sure he's coming out in the spring, but he's like every player going into the draft. You have to show the ability to make a three or at least mechanically be sound enough that, hey, if we work on this, you'll be able to make one. Um, and I haven't seen him shoot enough to give you a report on that, uh, to be honest. But I, I know he's a hardworking kid. He wants to be good. And I think the best thing about Okongwu, and I went to one of their practices earlier in the year, is he is he brings a great spirit to their to the practice. You know, because of his high motor and because of his energy, it just lifted the entire practice. It seemed like 
Um, and that's a great sign. And that's stuff that NBA people really like hearing about players is that he likes to work. He likes to practice. He raises the level of the practice. And that's what Okongwu's done. And I, in, in, it, it has to be a big reason why. Now, their talent level is higher this year, but it has to be a big reason why USC is having more success this year is the spirit of their team. And, and a lot of it has to do with these young guys, he and Mobley and Anderson, in the, in the injection of, of energy and life that he's given to that team. And so to wrap it all up, Okongwu is a first-round pick no matter what draft he enters. He's got a high ceiling. He's got some work to do, but I think he's going to be a very, very good NBA player. SC have the best front court in the conference? I think so because of Rakosovic's um, experience, and they, they can do a lot of things. And that's one thing I forgot to mention with USC. You know, I talked about role definition, but, like, the, the versatility of their lineup as yeah. well, like the, all the different things that Andy Anfield can do with Rakosovic, Okongwu, and Mobley. Uh, you've interviewed Okongwu, right? Yes. Before. I, you know what? I'm actually trying to figure this out because we, we've been kind of talking – not kind of. We've been talking a lot about USC the last couple of weeks. At some point on the pod, we got to – Jonah Matthews seems like the guy to, to talk to if we're going to get someone from yeah. the team. Yeah, he's a veteran guy, and, and he uh, – I believe he wants to get into this business. I oh, think no I kidding. read that somewhere. Um, so maybe we'll give him his first opportunity on the podcast. Yeah, that But might... a good kid, and he's having a good year too, and I'm happy for him and – I'm happy for all those guys at USC. They're having a, they're having a tremendous year, and I think they'll even continue to get better. You know, you asked if they have the best front line. They probably do already, Mike, and they probably have the most room to grow, too, still. Scary for the rest of the conference. Huge game this week against Colorado. Speaking of guests on the podcast, I know I made reference to this earlier. Tad Boyle uh, going to be on the show with us on Wednesday's edition of the podcast. Remember, every single week, Don and I are doing two shows, one on Tuesday. We look back, look ahead, and then we get a guest on Wednesday's show. So maybe Jonah Matthews uh, from USC down the line. Maybe we'll get Ari to put in a request uh, as we focus in on the Trojans. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to stick in Southern California. We we talked to we started the show making reference to it, Don, and that's Kobe Bryant passing away, uh, as well as his daughter, nine people in a helicopter crash over the weekend. Uh, you've been obviously covering the NBA. You played in the NBA for a decade and, and been around it for a really long time, especially in Southern California, in Los Angeles, where you live, working on Clippers broadcast. I know you've had uh, crossover with Kobe. You told the story at the top of the show. You're playing in, in, in this tournament. They were actually on their way there. Yeah. What um, That immediate reaction over the weekend, now you've had some time to process it. I think it was shock for everyone, but where are you at right now with, with a little bit of time to think about? Well, it's him? twofold. One, I, I think about once we knew that it wasn't fake news and that it was true, um, you're just sad. Sad that a man loses his life at 41, no matter who it is, but you know, if it's a guy like Kobe Bryant that is is a worldwide superstar, it just hits home a little bit more. You know, I shared an agent with him when he first came into the league. Arn Tellum was my agent, his agent. And I got to know him a little bit just being around the office and stuff. And you could just tell how driven he was. And this is, you know, the thing that I remember, I don't have any crazy Kobe stories about his work ethic, but I can only tell you this, Yam. You don't get to be a, pro- a professional basketball player without working at it and really working at it sometimes your entire life 
and the stories of his work ethic in a league full of guys that have been trained to work hard and understand what work ethic is and what, what it takes to make it to that level, his is unparalleled. Like the stories of, of what he, the lengths that he would go to and the things that he would do to, to get himself to the level that he got to are, are, are off the charts. And so I think about that of him as a basketball player. Everybody knows about the awards and the titles and everything he did. I think about the work it took for him to get there and how no one ever matched his level of work. But then the second part, Yam, is I think of him as a father and that he had morphed into that and that he has four kids and he seemed to really embrace being a dad. And I think that's where I'm at today with all this, that it hits me that not only did he lose his life being a father, that he lost one of his children. Um, and that's the saddest part of it all, um, that, you know, they both passed on a, on a helicopter crash and that he didn't get to enjoy being a dad for the rest of his life. And I was nowhere near, obviously, the level of Kobe Bryant as a player, but similar kind of path that, you know, I played professional basketball and now I'm a dad and I really have embraced that. And that's the biggest part of my life. And I cannot imagine if that was taken away from me. Don, you're actually the first person that I texted after I had, I had heard the news. And I started to think about, you know, you, you just turned 50, right? So we, we celebrated mm-hmm. your birthday. We mentioned it on the podcast. We did it on set. And you and I have had these conversations in the past about transitioning from being a professional athlete to that next phase of your life. And I think you've done as good of a job as it can get. And it's an obvious transition for you because I think there maybe was an interest in broadcasting. Maybe there wasn't, but you, you kind of fell into it and you've embraced this path. And I know you've talked to other guys as they've retired from other sports as well about transitioning from being this high level pro athlete to this next phase. And I think the crazy thing about Kobe is I mean, how many times, I mean, geez, we, we've talked to Kelly Graves about this, uh, the coach at Oregon. I mean, he's bringing his daughter to these games, and he was so, you know, on Pac-12 Network, you'd see him on there occasionally. You'd see things on social media where he's, you know, he's being a dad, and it's a very different way of looking at Kobe Bryant. I think 99.999% of us think about Kobe. The first thought is him on the basketball floor, him dominating. It's all-star MVPs, finals MVP, uh, NBA championships, relationships with Pau Gasol and Shaq and these guys where they, they get to the pinnacle of their sport. And yet here it is now in these last couple months or in years or so, like you just think about him with his kids. And, and to your point, Don, just an extreme tragedy and him not being able to enjoy phase number two of his life to me is just it's it's criminal to, to have yeah, something like that taken from and, and a lot of these guys yam they work hard because they understand that if i do well in professional sports i set myself up to choose what i want to do and this is the path that kobe chose he did so well that i can just be a dad the rest of my life and if i want to work and work on projects great but i don't have to if i don't want to and I think that's the, the path that Kobe was choosing, that he was going to coach his daughters in basketball and be around and do all that. And it's just it's a shame that that he he did what he needed to do to be in that position. And now it's taken from him. Sad, sad stuff, man. Uh, one basketball moment that resonates for you with him. Anything come to uh, mind? I haven't even honestly, I haven't even thought about the basketball part of it, honestly, like a, like him playing, like actually playing. I think yeah. about like the stories I heard of him 
you know, being, being in the gym at 5 a.m. and having a game that night and just the crazy, crazy work ethic stories that you hear about Kobe. Unbelievable legacy. We'll go down as, what, one of the top three, four, five players in, in NBA history? He's, he's solidly in the top ten, and now it just becomes comparing eras and all that. No. But I, I think if you, if you take everything out, you could say he's easily in the top ten players of all time, for sure. Real tragedy. And once again, I know, Don, I speak for you, our, our entire crew here at Pac-12 Network thinking about his, uh, his family and, and the families of those who were also lost in that helicopter crash um, over the weekend. Don, you and I will continue to do these podcasts every single week. Appreciate everyone listening in and checking in on these shows, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. Uh, rate, subscribe, review the podcast. Certainly helps us out. If you see it on social media and you're a fan of one of these teams that we're talking about, retweet it. Uh, odds are you probably got some friends that also would might might want to take a listen to the show uh tomorrow on the show on wednesday's edition of the podcast tad boyle is going to be stopping by with us we'll get a conversation with him about uh, the season for his squad, uh, potentially winning a conference championship, certainly in the thick of things, and maybe even a deep run in the month of March. But we had an opportunity to talk to Tad. That episode will be released once again on Wednesday. Here's a small snapshot of that. In November and early December, we were winning games, but we were winning them ugly, and we were not very good offensively. We were not clicking, and things weren't, you know, we had some guys. McKinley was pressing a little bit, um, and we just we just weren't ourselves. And then I would say after the first of the year, you know, uh, we won that Dayton game right before Christmas. We came back. We played really well against Iona and kind of blew them out. And then we've been pretty efficient offensively, you know, since that point. And, and that's something we continually try to work on and stress. But, Again, you know it's going to come and go in spurts like it did against in Washington. You just can't have it leave you for very long. Oh, for the full interview, Tad Boyle, once again on Wednesday's edition of the podcast. Always appreciate you guys listening. Don, great stuff by you as always. Uh, we will catch you on Pac-12 Network. Oregon Duck fans, you're going to be able to see your team 5.30 p.m. Pacific time Thursday night. You do not want to miss the pregame show. And once again, if you're a fan of women's basketball, you can also check out the inside Pac-12 women's basketball podcast, Mary Murphy, uh, as well as Ashley Adamson holding it down on that show. They've had some great coverage, some great guests the last couple weeks, and certainly uh, the influence we just talked about Kobe Bryant uh, Kobe showing up to a lot of those Oregon games they might have some stories uh, Mary certainly might have uh, a couple of those stories after interacting with Kelly Graves over the last couple months or so and certainly over the last few days so highly encourage everyone to check out that show as well